You're listening to What Makes Us Stronger, a series of stories about people's resilience at times of crisis. I'm Nisha Singh, and in our first episode of the new season, we're going to talk about the impact of technology on women's rights and economic power. Smartphones and mobile banking apps have transformed how we make payments and save online. But not everyone has equal access to the digital world. While 88% of the African continent has mobile coverage, women in sub-Saharan Africa are 37% less likely than men to use the mobile internet. That's the largest gender gap globally. However, when women get access to digital financial tools, the evidence suggests the whole economy benefits and the women themselves take control of much more than just their money. In a moment, I'll be joined by Nabila Agwele, former special advisor to Nigeria's Minister of Finance. But first, my colleague Botol Osman traveled to Nigeria to speak to women about how technology is changing their lives in ways they didn't expect. In my job, in communications, almost everything I do is online. But I wanted to understand what it means for women living in conflict-affected areas to learn digital skills. I went to meet Elizabeth in the village where she is from, in Plateau State. It's a rural area of Nigeria, hit by decades of conflict over limited access to land and water. A thorn in the side of one of Africa's largest economies. While I was there, Gunmen attacked a nearby village, and it was a few days before it was safe for me to speak to Elizabeth. Now in her early 30s, Elizabeth didn't get the chance to finish school because she got married quite young and had four children. Her husband works on and off, at the local teen mine. But she told me for a long time they struggled to pay the bills. A few years ago, Elizabeth joined a group run by Women for Women International, where she learned a trade and started selling sugarcane at the market. That's when she started to make plans. She wanted to grow her business. So, Elizabeth joined a village savings and loan association and an official community bank, along with 30 other women who pay a regular sum of money into the group. Then if one needs a loan for healthcare or to invest in their business like Elizabeth, they can get one. Elizabeth told me the group chose her to be their secretary because no one else could read or write. She says this was stressful and it took a long time keeping records of all the numbers. But then the group was chosen to pilot a mobile app to record and calculate their savings online. It's called DreamSave. So when they introduced the digital uh, application, at that time, did you have any digital skills? Did you know how to use the application? Did you know how to use a digital phone? I didn't know. Mm-hmm. 
even though Elizabeth hadn't used the app or the phone before. She says the other women were too intimidated to try it. She was determined to figure it out. It took her one month. And she says it was worth it. So can you explain maybe to us how the, the phone and the digital app, your, your chores as a secretary, easier? Can you explain to us all the activities and mm. how, how the app really helped you? The app reduced Elizabeth's workload dramatically. Instead of manually writing down and adding up everyone's contributions, the DreamSafe app calculates it automatically. It also alerts members of the group when they have an outstanding payment. And apart from the group activities, how has the phone helped you as a person? on your personal um, uh, digital literacy journey. Not only can Elizabeth now operate the phone, but she uses it to check out what's trending on social media and follow the news of any local violence. Elizabeth is now in charge of four community banking groups using the app. She has invested in and grown her sugarcane business, but mastering digital financial skills has given her confidence in other areas too. Ten years after she left, Elizabeth is going back to school. It's not easy but she wants to be a better leader to other women and demonstrate the importance of education to her children. She says her journey as an entrepreneur has only just begun. I'm delighted to welcome Nabila Aguale, a lawyer and public policy leader who has served as special advisor to Nigeria's Minister of Finance, and works to influence gender-responsive policies. Nabila has also recently joined Women for Women International's Board of Directors. Nabila, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you, Nisha. It's such a pleasure to join you today. Well, we just heard how Elizabeth is using technology to gain economic power. And we know that across Africa, women's participation in economies is growing, albeit with a gender gap. To what extent can greater digital access for women boost African economies? That's such a great place to start, especially having heard Elizabeth's really inspiring story. And I think it exemplifies a lot of why digital access is so important. Um, I'll start with some numbers here. The first is really to set the stage on what the gender gap is, sort of the, the mobile internet specific gender gap is in sub-Saharan Africa. So as of 2022, according to the mobile gender gap report, over 190 million women were not using mobile internet services, which is about a 37% gender gap, one of the largest we have in the world. On the flip side of that, we have data from the International Finance Corporation indicating that by 2030, approximately 230 million jobs 
on the continent in sub-Saharan Africa will require these digital skills. And this is why it's really important that even as we're having conversations around increasing women's economic empowerment, their participation in the labor force, that we really situate closing the digital gap within that conversation. One of the things that I've been talking about a lot recently is the importance of increased women's participation in the labor force because it's important. Empowered women are drivers in, in business, they're drivers in their communities and their families. But what we find from the fiscal policy and from the economic perspective is that the more women we have entering the labor market, the more women are empowered, the more they are financially included and digitally included, the more likely they are to join the labor force and have an increased contribution, which in turn has a strong impact on the economy. And what we find is, is that women who are members of the labor force, women who are educated, who are financially included, are more likely to exercise self-agency, which is what we saw with Elizabeth. The fact that she was educated put her in a situation where she could serve as the secretary, but it also impacted her confidence in seeking out the digital services when presented and in her interest in seeking further opportunities to educate herself and to grow her business and to grow from more of an informal business to a more formal business. So it's really important. What we find is, is that empowered women also, in addition to personal agency, are more likely to educate their own children. Empowerment and education has a strong impact on both their community behavior, their health-seeking behavior, their education outcomes, both for themselves and their families. So what we find is really a catalytic impact when we have increased digital access for women because closing that digital gap enhances the ways in which women are able to participate. Uh, it enhances their access to financial resources as well as um, digital resources as well. Yeah, it's such an incredible cycle and in how everything is interrelated, really. And of course, we have our Women for Women International Stronger Women, Stronger Nations program. And I think we can see here how it's also you know, empowered women leveraging those opportunities for their own agency, but also then for the agency to change their, you know, families' futures, their children's futures, and then of course, leveraging these opportunities to strengthen their country's economies down the line. Such a critical story to tell. And on the flip side, we also know that the digital gender gap comes with massive costs. And according to a report from the UN, the exclusion of women from the digital world has shaved one trillion dollars from the GDP of low and middle income countries over the last 10 years. So as we see this shift to more of a digital workforce, what more can we do to close that gap? So there, there are quite a number of factors um, that need to come into play. And so, so what I would start by saying is that the interventions need to be holistic and integrated. There's no one solution to this issue. But one clear area that's really important is education. Mm -hmm. And what we find from UNESCO data is that the higher the level of education, the more likely women and girls are to seek out digital skills and to have access to digital skills. And in fact, when you see women having completed higher education, the digital gender gap in some places disappears altogether and falls dramatically. So there's a strong correlation between increased digital literacy and education, as there is a strong correlation between education and so many other areas. So, And you find that also in the, in the case study that we saw with Elizabeth. There are a number of reasons. Some of it has to do with also the psychological opting out 
burnout that happens when you don't have that confidence and, and the ramping up. There's less of a ramp up when you've concluded secondary school education and ideally higher education as well. So ensuring um, that there's continued emphasis on programs that get young girls to at least complete secondary school. There are a number of such initiatives, for example, in Nigeria, one of which is targeted specifically at adolescent girls, because there's a recognition that if you educate a girl at least through secondary school, the likelihood of impact on health-seeking behavior, on family planning, etc., and of course, digital inclusion is also a factor. There's also a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of norms shifting and behavioral psychology. There's this perception in some communities that digital access, and, and, and this isn't just imposed on women, it's also you see it even with women themselves making trade-offs in terms of where they invest right. their resources when they have them. Sometimes you see that a woman, especially a woman head of household, when asked to make a trade-off between putting food on the table for her mm -hmm. family and investing in digital access, for example, a smartphone, she will make the first choice. So mm -hmm. really in understanding that there's a psychology, both in terms of the choices, the trade-offs that women have to make when they are empowered to seek out digital devices that enhance their access but also recognizing that in certain communities, in a lot of communities, families are making trade-offs between what to spend their money on. And it's important that there be a suite of social interventions and investments that address issues around hunger and education so that they can focus on digital access. Right. Another thing that's really important is in increasing the number of women in decision-making power, right? When you have more women who are in the um, ITC space, in the digital space, in policy decision-making roles that relate to digital inclusion, they're more likely to think about the impact on women and their communities and more likely to put in place policies and interventions that would serve those women. I think also, in addition to having women be part of those making digital policies, we also want to make sure that the data, the, the mm -hmm. policy-making process right. is gender-inclusive and gender-sensitive. Um, so it could be as simple as using gender disaggregate data to guide both policy formulation and policy uh, uh, evaluation to see whether once governments and communities put in place um, interventions to increase digital literacy, making sure that those interventions are actually having the intended impact. So these are some of the things we think about from a policy perspective. And then I think also advocacy, you know, there needs to be an increased awareness of the benefits of digital literacy for those who have access to it and increased efforts to ensure that those in rural areas especially are given through government interventions and uh, work alongside with private sector and civil society organizations are allowed to participate in programs such as the one that Elizabeth participated in. Yeah, amazing. Those are all really practical examples. And you mentioned as well, increasing women's participation in decision-making spaces. And I wonder if you can say more about that and specifically how important it is for women to be represented when it comes to financial decisions, both at the government level where you work, but also in their own home. This is crucial. 
it's crucial what we find increasingly is that where you don't have diversity right at the decision making table in this respect that diversity is having women represented the policies tend to be a little bit tone deaf mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because they don't take into account the realities of the intended beneficiaries so i would say it's important not only to have women at the decision making table in terms of financial policy formulation mm-hmm. but also to further segment and have a diversity of women's voices at the table so you don't want to have only representatives from sort of the urban parts of the country right. if we're taking nigeria for example it's important to have representatives from parts of the country from the grassroots who understand what the real impact is on women in rural communities what the real impact is on women who are running businesses especially in the informal economy and the ways in which digital inclusion and and financial decisions that tap into that can impact their lives moving to the the household perspective it's also critically important emerging data especially in the context of cash transfer programs and and social interventions um is beginning to indicate that where you have women participating in decision at the household level and in in some instances even leading those financial decisions we have better outcomes there are, mm-hmm. there's a more inclusive and holistic way in which they think about where to spend that money uh oftentimes if the money is given to the woman or if she's part of the decision making it's more likely to be used in a way that benefits the family and there there's emerging data to demonstrate that i think also the truth of the matter is is that when you look at empowering women in their households where whether it's financially or otherwise that again has a spillover effect a catalytic effect not only on their individual homes but on their children their communities etc so there is that strong data to demonstrate that catalytic impact from having women both empowered at the financial decision making levels both at the federal and at the state level but also within their individual households and communities absolutely it sounds like with most changes there's multiple dimensions both from the norm shifting and the household level type of change to remove barriers to participation and increase awareness but also at the government level with regard to the inclusive policy making processes and expanding the evidence base that's available to be more inclusive as well are critically important as far as the foundation for expanding digital access and encouraging the holistic approach that you mentioned and just from a practical level for women for women international being able to use these digital tools in conflict zones is incredibly useful for our teams around the world when it's too dangerous to put stipends literally and physically in the hands of program participants in the DRC for example we have been using mobile cash transfers what are some of the other ways that tech can reduce inequity and foster innovation in africa Thank you. So so I would say the ways that tech can reduce inequality are limitless and integrated. Mm-hmm. There's so many levels, right? So so I see tech as an overarching enabler and driver of sustainable development, poverty reduction, mm-hmm. equality and and ultimately development on the continent and beyond. Tech as an enabler for education and and a, essentially a way of democratizing uh, education access. We saw that especially during COVID. So for example, in the Nigeria context, the government was able to adapt an existing program that targeted education for adolescent girls 
and make some elements of that programming tech-enabled so that issues around health concerns and, and insecurity wouldn't prevent these girls from, from having access to education. I think especially in conflict zones, you see that opportunity to continue uh, to ensure access to education and to a broader world using technology. Tech is also a, a great connector. It's mm -hmm. a great way to help communities uh, contextualize their experience, to connect across countries and cultures and to really feel less alone and collaborate. And I think this is another way in which COVID demonstrated that. So with the use of just a smartphone or even a basic phone, people in, in far removed parts of the world can connect with others and, and engage in data sharing, et cetera, and experience sharing. Another way in which tech is an enabler is, is one that we're seeing used in terms of norm shifting, which is mm -hmm. narratives and storytelling. So increasingly, a lot of philanthropic organizations organizations and development organizations are realizing that even where there is an awareness of what needs to be done, for example, whether it's women's empowerment or education, those decisions, those behaviors still aren't changing. So there's a strong move to pair increasing focus on norms shifting and behavioral psychology with uh, partnerships with the creative sector, and then use mm -hmm. technology, digital platforms for storytelling and for engagement in a way that um, raises issues for people that may, they may not otherwise consider. So for example, entertainment-based programming around digital access can help advocates mm -hmm. ensure that there's better awareness as to why it's important for women and communities, and especially in conflict zones, to have that access. The last thing I would mention is financial inclusion, right? Mm -hmm. Tech is a critical enabler for financial inclusion. We have a lot of women-owned businesses uh, in Nigeria and across Africa. Many of those businesses are are informal though, in part because the businesses, they're not banked or they're off-grid. So technology and financial inclusion and data inclusion are ways to ensure that women-owned businesses especially are on the grid. They have better access to credit and to other facilities. And it also allows that there be data for which regulators and, and governments can better form policies that, that help citizens. So those are just a number of examples to highlight, but it's it's a critical enabler, which is why a lot of emphasis has been placed on what's called the fourth industrial revolution. And there's a lot of funding, development funding being poured mm. into this area. Yeah, those examples um, really illustrate just the tremendous opportunity. And I want to close today by asking you a question we ask many of our podcast guests. Of course, the name of our podcast is What Makes Us Stronger. So, Nabila, what is it that makes you stronger? Um, this is such a great question. So the first thing that came to mind is community. Community makes me stronger. And for me, I, I'm really fortunate to belong to a global community of change agents and a really strong community in country and across the continent. And mm. what I find, you know, is that the more I do this work, the more I realize that there is no solo enterprise when it comes to change. Right. You have to partner with as many people as possible. You have to convince those who need to be convinced and converted and co-opt them into the tribe, as I like to say. So community, for <laughs> there's strength for me in community. It's what keeps me going. It's what inspires me. And it's what also helps me and many others weather those periods where you can feel discouraged by the numbers or mm. what you see happening both domestically and internationally. Something else that's sort of related, 
that makes me stronger is in this moment is being at home. So I'm mm. Nigerian. I was born here, but I left here when I was seven years old and grew up um, a bit all over in England, in the Middle East. And then we immigrated to Canada. And then I further immigrated to the U.S. and seven years ago decided, along with my husband, to move back to Nigeria. And I would call it sort of like a pull. There was a yeah. pull home. I didn't quite know where, what I was being pulled to. But being mm. home, I think, and really coming into my own in terms of my voice, my identity, reconciling sort of all the different parts of me as an immigrant and a diasporan, and really realizing that there's so much work to do and there's so much allyship in the work, both within the government space um, that I've been in and also working with organizations such as Women for Women and other partners and, and really getting to, from the continent, have an impact that's both domestic, regional and global and to have a voice. So, so for me, there's a lot of strength in being here and working from here and bringing those views and those perspectives and those stories to the global stage. Home and community. I love that. Um, well, thank you so much, Nabila, for your insight and your inspiration today. Thank you. I want to leave the last word to Elizabeth, who shared her journey with us earlier. Elizabeth told us that she is proud to be gaining her own financial independence and being able to pay her children's school fees. But what makes Elizabeth stronger is inspiring other women to follow her lead. You can find out more about the kind of stories you've heard today and how you can get involved by following at Women for Women on Instagram or Twitter. And we'd love to hear what you think. So reach out and tell us. See you next time. Written and produced by Zoe Gallagher and Harriet Wells. What Makes Us Stronger is a Fresh Air production. The artwork for this series was designed by Nuno Studios.